3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
4: Good Calls with Dean Blandino is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, everyone. This is Good Calls. I'm Dean Blandino. Welcome to the show got Travis with me as always. What's up, Dean? Joe on audio. What's going on? Let's start. Nice intro, Joe. Love the music. Great job already on the, the audio. Love the music. Thank you. Great job on the audio. Dean, how was the weekend? You know what, Travis? I'm glad you asked. How was my weekend? Okay. Overall, I had a good weekend. I want to share Saturday night I went to see one of my favorite comedians here in LA at the Orpheum Theater, Tom Segura. And I was so excited. I had not seen Tom live. If you check him out, he's hilarious. YouTube, he's got a couple of Netflix specials. But I was really pumped to see him live and uh, went to the show and I just didn't, I didn't have a great time. I, I didn't, I just felt I left and I just wasn't happy. And I, and I was kind of reflecting on the show and I realized why I wasn't happy because the guy next to me, was laughing so over the top and overreacting at every joke. He ruined my experience. Like, not every joke is that funny. I love Tom Segura, but he, because he was laughing so much, it made my enjoyment that much less. Like, literally laughing like he was an NBA player at All-Star Game, you know, on the sideline watching the dunk contest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that was his reaction. Every joke. And, like, every joke isn't a tent. Right? Right. Like every, I, yeah. Every joke is not Vince Carter. Like in, in the slam dunk contest 2000, I think it was in, in Oakland, where he, or, or Spud Webb, you know? Like not every dunk is Dominique Wilkins. And this guy ruined the Tom Segura
5: show for and me. And this guy, you didn't know him. I know You're I didn't know him.
4: Yeah. Like he's some complete stranger. And then he's like looking for my, he's like looking for affirmation from me that the joke was that funny. Why aren't you laughing? Like at hitting you? me. Like hitting me. <laughs> when the left like i was funny but it wasn't that funny like stop you're kill, you ruined it ruined the show for me so i might have to go and i think i don't know i think Segura. i think tom's going to be in like australia next so i might have to fly to australia sounds like and a and watch him
6: podcast on the, on the road exactly so is but, that a personal foul against uh, the gentleman sitting next to you
4: 100% personal foul <laughs> nice there's the whistle <laughs> oh, look
6: at you the audio New guy, tricks.
4: Just, the just audio got that guy, in. three episodes in, finally figured out how <laughs> to do sound effects. Nice job.
6: Thank you.
4: But that wasn't the worst thing that happened to me this weekend, okay? The real tragedy of the weekend, I was Friday night, I was driving home, I was, was at the USC game, and great game, USC, big win, beat a top 10 team, Utah, And uh, with a third-string quarterback, by the way. But a great, great game. I was driving home. I was starving. And it was Taco Bell. So I made a run for the border. I went to Taco Bell. Got to the drive-thru. I was so excited. I had my music playing. I was upbeat, hip-hop. I was just pumped. And my favorite item on the menu when I go to Taco Bell is the Double Decker Taco Supreme. So that's my go-to. So I pull up. She asked me, hey, can I help you? Welcome to Taco Bell. Can I help you? I was like, you can absolutely help me. I want two double-decker Taco Supremes. And I was like going to order, I don't know, something else after that. And she stopped me. She's like, sir, I'm sorry. We changed the menu. We don't have that on the menu anymore. And then she said, sensing my like disappointment, disappointment. my anguish, I'll give you a minute. And I (laughs) I legitimately, I swear to God, I said, I'm going to need more than a minute. (laughs) Change the music to, I like put on air supply, right? <laughs> I put on, I, it was just, it was so sad. So <laughs> they changed the menu. They took the Double Decker Taco Supreme. I went on, then I went and Googled it. I, I don't even know what I ordered. I couldn't get out. I wanted to get out of line, but you're stuck because you got people in front of you, people behind you. I Google it in the car after I ordered some, I don't know, Jalupa, whatever it is. Not which, while you're driving, jalupa Jalupa. No, I'm in the drive-through, Travers. A chalupa, whatever the heck it is. And I Googled it, and literally on the Wikipedia, it's the Double Decker Taco Supreme was an offering at Taco Bell. Like, it's already past tense. Didn't we just order those a couple weeks ago? We ordered them a couple weeks ago. And for those of you that don't know what the Double Decker Taco Supreme is, it's a taco, right? It's a normal taco, hard-shell taco, but the beautiful part, is you have the the refried beans and a flour tortilla wrapped around the taco the hard taco, the soft taco it just creates the you know you get the soft the flour tortilla, the hard corn shell of the of the taco it's unbelievable. little hot
6: sauce. All right, they're not a sponsor. okay <laughs> I mean.
4: not yet, but gone. no more taco. Double Decker Taco yeah. Supreme. So you know, like still, you know who has the
5: double Decker Taco? They call it a Taco Bravo. Is What's that? Taco Johns. Taco Johns? Yeah. Do they
4: have Taco Johns here in LA? No. All right. Well, we'll, we'll find out. In, in Wyoming, John, though. Anyway, okay. Well, we'll get to Wyoming later, Travis. <laughs> Relax with Wyoming. Uh, but we got a great show. Joe, what time, what time are we going to publish the show um, today, later on? What, what time do you think?
6: Well, they want it for the, the drive home on the East Coast. On the so East Coast. 2 o'clock, 2 p.m.?
4: 2 p.m. Pacific. Yeah. What is that? You know what? What what's that mountain
6: time? Oh. Uh, so, see everyone. 3 o'clock,
4: everyone actually. I ask. If you ask somebody, you say, "What time is it?" and they tell you, and then you go, "What is that mountain time?" They have to think about. That's it. a thing. They have to think about it. Exactly. <laughs> it's the most. It's the most neglected time zone in the U.S. Like nobody. Nobody's like, "Oh, that's you know." The game is four o'clock Eastern, one o'clock Pacific, four o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Central. No one throws Mountain in there. So I am I'm making a decree, a rules decree. Oh, taking more we shots at my, my use, people in Wyoming. We, we will, Wyoming's on Mountain Time. They are, sir. Of course it is. Of course. <laughs> so we are going to only use Mountain Time when we discuss when we discuss time. So you guys start <laughs> brushing up on your Mountain Time, because nobody. I, it's like in the Broncos, right? Home Bronco game. What time does it normally start? They're
5: 11? 11:00 <laughs> <Just at> eleven o'clock window. Joe said eleven. Well, Eleven Mountain. If we're going to the early window,
4: nobody's wait. They don't play at Eleven Mountain.
5: They're usually in the late slot. I'm yes, just trying to prove my point. They don't play. See exactly. They
4: don't. You don't start football games at eleven local NFL. It doesn't happen. They're playing at two o five or two two twenty five. All right, whatever. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Speaking of NFL, let's get to the NFL. A lot to talk about. Thursday night was crazy. Okay, <laughs> crazy. The first half, right? So Thursday night, it's the um, Jaguars Jaguars and Titans in Jacksonville. It's raining. It's muddy. It's sloppy. And 15 fouls in the first half. Eight holding calls in the first half, right? So what happens? Okay, we have this first half. First play of the game from scrimmage, you have a holding call. All these things. It's sloppy. It's messy. And somebody gets on Twitter. And and somebody, you know, who's pretty new to Twitter, by the way, but my man TB12, <laughs> my man Tom Brady said, you know what? I've had enough of this, and I'm gonna take to Twitter. Travis,
5: what what did he tweet? So his first tweet, he says, quote, too many penalties, just let us play, hashtag Tennessee versus Jackson.
4: I love how I love how Travis, like how, that's Travis. how Tom was saying it. As Tom was tweeting it, he was saying it like that,
5: like with that kind of conviction. And and feel it. It went viral, right? I mean, what Travis? So yeah, it had like ninety nine thousand likes and and like just over eleven thousand like retweets. Insane, insane. And then, as if that's not enough to make matters worse, worse, he doubles down. Seven minutes later, he says, "I'm turning this game. I'm turning off this game. I can't watch these ridiculous penalties anymore." Hashtag Tennessee versus Jacksonville. And he throws the
4: hashtag is the best part too. Like Tom knows Twitter. (laughs) Like Tom's like we we want this to trend, so we're gonna go hashtag. You don't think Tom has somebody tweeting for him? I, I don't know,
5: but that that tweet had went even more viral. Yeah, one hundred twenty-eight thousand likes and, and twenty thousand retweets. So so Tom is upset. He's he's
4: watching the game, doing his thing. He tweets. He turns the game off, and magically, magically, <laughs> fifteen fouls in the first half. The third quarter, clean, N- nothing, no fouls. I was on with Rich Eisen. Friday, and Rich described it because Sean Hockley was the referee, and he said in the first half, it was TMH, too much Hockley. In the third quarter, it was NMH, no more Hockley. <laughs> and and so 15 fouls first half, Brady tweets, no fouls in the third quarter.
5: It was a little curious. Yeah. A little weird. Do you think that uh, anyone from the league maybe gave a call to the crew at the half? You know, I... I thought about that, and
4: I'd be shocked. I would be shocked if, okay. you know, Goodell is watching the game. Goodell calls Riveron. He's like, Al, what the hell? Al's like, I'm gonna call Sean. Sean, what the hell? I that that I'd be shocked if that happened. As you don't, you know, you don't interrupt or in, inject yourself from the league office into a game like that when you talk about calling penalties. You know, in an ideal world, look, it's the two teams that are going to decide how many fouls there are and you let the, the officials officiate the game. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't believe that happened.
6: So in the time that you were the VP, did you ever call down from the control center and, and make any requests like that?
4: I was actually the, the senior VP when I left the NFL Joe. but thanks. Um,
6: so Sorry about that. Sorry. When you were the senior VP.
4: Thank you. Thank you. You know, there was, there was a handful of times that I did communicate with the crew during a game one that stood out was during the, um, I believe it was the 2015 season, Panthers Giants, and it was the game where um, OBJ and Josh Norman were going at it. Mm-hmm. There was an issue yep. pregame, and and then they had had multiple personal fouls, and and so I communicated with the crew that we had to get the game under control, and that and that if there were any more. Personal fouls that you have to consider ejecting players. Now, now I didn't tell them don't call fouls or call more call more fouls. It was just a, a player, it's a player safety thing. It's a control thing. So that was something that I did. I felt compelled to do. Very rarely would that ever happen, but that was one instance where where I did do that, and uh, and you know it was it was warranted. I felt in that in that moment, but but again, um, I just think it. Look, the third quarter. There just weren't any fouls, so there wasn't anything that raised that level. It was a coincidence. It happens. Um, I think that there was there was some holding calls. I think two more in the fourth quarter, and uh, and I think there were. I think there ended up 22 fouls for the game.
5: I imagine coaches in the locker room too are like, "Let's stop this. Stop holding. Like you guys, you know, play the game the way it should be." Well,
4: yeah. There's certainly teams will make adjustments. The officiating crew could make adjustments at halftime. They could get together because officials know when when officials. The the one person that knows when a call is solid or if a call is shaky is that official, and they and they know when they throw the flag when it's there, or if they have to second guess themselves and they think, you know what, I'd like to have that one back. So the crew might have got together at halftime and just said, you know what, you know, let's we're being a little bit overly technical. Let's try to clean it up in the second half. Let's make sure that the fouls are there. And I think that that may certainly have been something that happened in the uh, in the halftime in the locker room. Um, but then, so interesting, we have Thursday night and uh, and then Saturday night on the eve of the games on Sunday, the league has a conference call with the referees. So so the senior vice president officiating Al Riveron, has a conference call with all 17 referees. And we learned about this um, via – I think Kevin Seifert uh, from ESPN uh, posted an article about it. And so the gist of the call was – to talk about offensive holding, where where they were, and to make sure that all seventeen crews were on the same page, as it pertained to holding, and 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 so um, this is something that on the eve of the game took on the eve of the games on Sunday took place, and it definitely had an effect. And when you look at up until that point, including the game Thursday, first two weeks, and the one game Thursday, we were averaging five. holds per game, 187 holding calls in 33 games in the, in the 14 games on Sunday. Okay. There were 41 holding calls, 2.9. So a drastic decrease in holds. And, and I think it's fair to say that that, that decrease had something to do with that call. I don't think, that the players just stopped holding at a clip of, right, you know, right. almost half. And, uh, you know, that changed, you know, the players adjusted um, from Thursday to Sunday. So, so definitely had something to do with that call. And we believe on that call, again, get on the same page. Let's make sure that the holds are there. And, uh, and the focus, obviously, from the competition committee standpoint, was they want to get see the
5: backside holding cleaned up. Dean, when you were the head of officiating, the senior vice president, Joe. Thank you, Thank you Travis. Um, did you have these calls during the week? And and, and when did you yeah. have those calls?
4: You know, you do have, it's not unusual. Look, this okay. isn't unusual for a phone call to happen with the referees on a Saturday. And and you certainly, why that is, is because you have all of the referees. Um, there are 15, 16 games, depending on, you know, buys and things like that. So uh, you have all of the referees in the city that game and uh, and so they're already going through their pregame so it is a good time sometimes to get all the referees together so not unusual to have a phone call but if you're going to have a phone call about something as important as holding and certainly based on where we've been the first two weeks of the regular season where the numbers have been so high you would want at least in my opinion to have that call during the week The the officials are graded They go through every call on Wednesday. So the officiating department, the supervisors, uh, Riveron, they look at all the calls and everything for the week on Wednesday. I would have that call Wednesday night, get all the referees on the same page. And then because the key is you have to communicate. If you're going to make a change in philosophy on holding, and not saying that's what was said on the call, but the numbers certainly would, would lead you to believe that something changed. You would have that call on Wednesday during the week, and then you could put a tape together and let the clubs know, "Hey, here's here's what it's going to look like this week," so the clubs can adjust. Because remember, they're coaching their players; they mm-hmm. know the, right. the, the the league has been calling holding. We got to make sure not that they're not that they're going to say, "Okay, we're, we're going to get away with holding," but at least put a tape together and say, "These are examples of what are is a foul, and sure. these are examples of what is not a foul." So everybody's on the same page. I think that's where you know, if it were me, that's what that's what I would have done. Um, and again, because the numbers do look, that call had something to do with it. Because when you go from five point six to two point nine per game, that's a drastic, drastic drop. And I did hear. Look, I heard from at least two clubs. I had one club call me to find out if there was a call. So, so that obviously tells me that the clubs were not made aware of the phone call, and that that call happened on Sunday and then and then i had another club that again asked me about the call and they were they were pretty upset that that call had happened and without the clubs being notified of any potential changes so so again something to you know i think this is going forward i agree i think we were a little bit out of whack with holding but if you're going to make that philosophy change certainly the competition committee has to be on board and you want to alert the clubs to, to any kind of change when it comes to something so critical to the game. That can happen on any play when you're talking about offensive holding. So, uh, you know, it was interesting just how it all played out from a timing perspective. For sure. All right, let's shift gears. Let's go to pass interference. Obviously, this has been a hot topic, and it continued this week. We had a bunch of reviews for pass interference, nine total for the week so far, and this doesn't include the game Monday night, obviously. So nine total reviews. There were three that involved offensive pass interference, six that involved defensive pass interference, and uh, and and of the nine reviews, only one was overturned. There was a DPI in Tampa that was not called on the field; that was created in a replay. So, so again, we're looking at these. This is the the majority of the replay reviews are now pass interference reviews, and I think that will continue throughout the season. And uh, and and it was just it was interesting. One of our games on Sunday was the, the Lions-Eagles games, game. And there was two plays in that game that really stood out for me as we, we talk about replay. And uh, and so you had you had Miles Sanders returns a kickoff in the, in the second quarter and literally gets his helmet ripped off. Face mask, helmet ripped off, head turned around, big-time face mask, player safety, no call. Okay, so look, the referee who's responsible – um, in that situation, trailing the play, just didn't see it. Either Either he got screened, he just didn't see it. But you have that foul that's an obvious foul that's missed that involves player safety, no recourse. Can't, can't review it. A little bit later in the game, then you get a deep pass, ruled incomplete, Detroit's on offense, Detroit challenges that it was DPI. We look at it for two and a half minutes, we don't have enough evidence, and ruling on the field stands. So... We go from an obvious player safety foul that's that would be an easy reversal, um, not not being able to review that, but we're reviewing the subjective pass interference. You know, was there enough contact? Was it significant? Um, did it hinder the receiver's ability to make a play on the ball? So, so again, I just feel like maybe maybe if this continues, what we could see going forward next year and beyond is some of these player safety fouls being reviewable, similar to what the NCAA does in targeting. Versus the subjective calls, Cause like you guys are in the studio, you see it. I mean, from Mm -hmm. game to game. And this is not, again, this is not an indictment on the decision-making.
6: It's just a hard call to be consistent on. It's impossible. It's, it's subjective. It's never going to be a hundred percent in my opinion, if they're going back, looking at it because one guy looks at one thing, another guy looks at another thing. It's going to be, we, we all even disagree in it on the in the studio. And yeah, we all interpret everything differently.
4: And I'll give you the other play that was from the Tampa Giants game, where Pat Shermer challenged that there was offensive pass interference on a play, where where his defender was actually went to the ground. The receiver had his arm on the on the shoulder of the defender. They they went to the ground, no call on the field. Shermer challenges and the ruling on the field stood. Now I I was texting with a couple of other of the rules analysts, Terry McCauley thought it was an obvious foul. John Perry thought it was probably a foul. I th- I thought their feet tangled. I thought they were playing the ball, their feet tangled. I thought the, the hand on the shoulder didn't necessarily drag the defender to the ground. So the three of us weren't even on the same page. Yeah. So what is the league going to do, right? That That's a call that you have to let stand if it's not obvious. So I think they made the right call in that situation but it just it just goes to show how tough that is and and that's a tough call. You think it's tough in replay? How about <laughs> watching it live at full speed and then running running at full speed as an official, having to watch the contact, having to watch then catch no catch, having to look for all these different things and uh and make that call in real time. That's it's tough. It's tough. Last thing NFL sticking in Tampa, Giants Tampa. We had two plays Pass-fumble situations, Um, one on each side. So Jameis Winston gets hit, ball comes out, Giants pick it up, return it. Ruling on the field was a fumble, recovered by the defense. Comes back in replay, reversed incomplete pass, correct ruling in replay. A little bit later on, Daniel Jones gets hit, ball comes out, ruled a fumble on the field, Tampa gets to return it. Comes back in replay, forward pass, correct call and replay. Interesting.
5: Do you think the Saints-Rams play last week had anything to do with these calls officiated on Sunday? I think so.
4: And I think, look, this isn't new. It's not a new philosophy to let the play play out if you're not sure. But I do think the magnitude of that play last week and, and, and a lot the attention that it got and obviously being a critical play at that time during the game, I think it was probably reinforced with the referees that, look, if you're not sure, let it go and replay can always come back. The referee on that game, who I think, is, if not the best, one of the best referees in the league today, Bill Vinovich, veteran referee. Um, he let it go, and, and they were both passes, but rather than guess on maybe something he didn't see quite clearly, he let it go, replay can come back and fix it. Again, we're delaying the game a little bit, but you don't take away a potential touchdown, a potential long return from a team um, by killing it prematurely and uh, and not letting replay be able to come in and fix it, so it was definitely it was definitely a, an interesting um, scenario.
6: You think uh, every time the Rams and Saints play, there's going to be a, a rule change or what's going You know, on I again? think
4: the league, I think the <laughs> league and the schedule make makers need to like maybe maybe let's not have the Rams Saints play in the regular season. If they meet in the playoffs, we can't control that, but maybe we don't. Maybe we kind of give that matchup. You know, a a couple of you know they're not in the same division, so so maybe we can figure out a way where they don't play each other. Because, to Joe's point, that game, uh, you know, at least the last two times, it hasn't been it hasn't been great for the uh, for the officiating. Uh, Let's take a break. This is Good Calls, a production of iHeartRadio. We'll be right back.
3: Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
4: Welcome back to Good Calls. We're going to shift gears.
5: Talk a little college football
4: crazy ending <laughs> to the Cal Ole Miss game, right? Non-conference, Cal undefeated, Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss is 2-1 and one maybe. I'll set it up for you. Ole Miss is down 28-20. They're out of timeouts. They're driving third and goal. John Reese Plumley completes a pass to Elijah Moore at the goal line. Is it a touchdown? Is it not a touchdown? He's it looks right close. at it, looks, it's close. Right at the goal line. The official is all over it. Decisive rules, catch in the field of play. Clock running, running, running. Ole Miss gets lined up. No replay review. Reese Plumley, QB sneak on fourth and goal. Stop short. No replay review, fans on the field, teams on the field, the band is on the field, game over. Or was it? Travis, there was a, the Ole Miss uh, yeah, so AD. The, yeah, the interim AD at Ole
5: Miss, Keith uh, Keith Carter, he, he uh, put out a statement after the game. He said, we're extremely disappointed with the officiating at the end of the game and are expecting a full explanation from the Pac-12 regarding the call and subsequent non-review of the third down play. He continued, we feel strongly that the play should have been reviewed by the Pac-12 officials in the review booth. Even if the play didn't result in a touchdown, the spot of the ball on fourth down was questionable, end quote. So do you think, then, Dean, what what should have happened there?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting situation. And it is, this is when replay officials, replay officials truly earn their money. This is a situation I've been... I've been a part of replay since 1999 when the NFL brought it back. I've worked with NFL replay officials. I have ran the program. I've worked with college replay officials since 2005 when the Big Ten was testing replay. And we have talked about this situation, this specific situation. And mechanically, what we teach is if the offense is out of timeouts near the end of the game and the play ends with the clock running, And it's close. It's questionable. Certainly here, goal line, obviously a big play. Mechanically, you wait to see if the offense can get legally lined up before time expires. Once they get legally lined up and there's time on the clock, you have to stop the game. You watch the play. Ole Miss gets lined up, Mm -hmm. and there's between three and two seconds. It's just changing from three to two when Ole Miss gets lined up. At that point, the replay official has to stop the game. And the thinking and the theory is what you don't want to do is you don't want to stop the game with eight seconds and Ole Miss is scrambling and they're never going to get lined up. Now you've stopped the game. You don't change the call on the field. What have you given them? You've Given them a timeout. You've basically given them a timeout, but you've given them another snap that they would not have been entitled to. So you wait to see if they were going to get lined up. So then with two seconds on the clock, you stop the game. If you don't change it, now, there's no advantage. They would have had another snap yeah. of two seconds. You have to look at that to see if it's a score. You can't just say, I'm not going to stop the game because I don't want to give them a timeout. Well, what if it was a touchdown? Now, we still don't know. It looked close enough to it's where it should have been It's close enough. At. And I would say on the fourth down play, so that's mechanically what you do, what should have happened. Stop the game as soon as Ole Miss gets lined up. If you change it to a touchdown, great. It's a touchdown. You reset the clock. Away we go. If you don't, then you're going to tell Ole Miss, the ruling on the field stands, you got to get up on the ball. We're going to wind the clock on the ready for play. So with two seconds on the clock, Ole Miss can't spike it. By rule, you got to have three or more when you're going to wind the clock. And they'd have to run a play, quickly snap it, and then run the play. So that's what should have happened there. The fourth down play, look, time expires. I think you got to just immediately stop the game. Even if you think he's short, stop the game because – what do we have now about this situation? What do we What do we have?
6: Questions. Nobody knows what exactly. ifs.
4: What ifs, questions. If you follow those mechanics, then look, we reviewed it. There wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. It was handled correctly. Even the fourth down play, we looked at it. It wasn't clear and obvious, or we confirmed it, and we're done. So we don't have these questions. We don't have... The AD from Ole Miss making these statements, asking for an explanation. That's the goal. You want to you want to put it to bed during the game and mechanically. And we've taught that at both the NFL and the college football level. Um, and so that that's what should have happened. Did they get it right in the end, though, Dean? You know, that's a great question. And and you know, I have seen since since the game on. On Saturday, I have seen some angles, and, and I do think, at least at a very least, they would not have been able to overturn the third down play. I do think the official got it right. There was never a look down the line, at least I haven't seen one, but it does look like when the receiver... Remember, he, he controls the pass, and he may control the pass in the end zone, but he's not contacted by a defender. So there's no forward progress. He's coming back on his own. So the spot is going to be where the ball is when he's down. So when his knee hits, shin, whatever body part that put him down, where's the ball in relation to the goal line? That's going to be the spot. And it looked like that spot was in the field of play. But we, ne- we have never seen a, a, a definitive angle. I do think they got it right. The fourth down play, we did see a goal line shot. It did look short. But again, you can't leave those type of questions out there. Right. You know, if you follow the mechanics, then I think I – think everybody would feel a little bit better about what took place. Cause right now, obviously Ole Miss is looking for an explanation. And, uh, and I would imagine the PAC 12 is going to have to, is going to have to you know, either make a statement or communicate internally with Ole Miss and, uh, and clean it up that way.
5: I have a question for you then Dean. So yeah. you see now on, on Monday night football, you have the down the line shot on the, on the, on the line of scrimmage. Do you see it ever go into the having cameras on pylons at the goal line and also on the, the line of scrimmage and first down lines.
4: Absolutely. I think a lot of the networks are doing that. They have pylon cam. Um, typically, when you have a goal-to-go situation, you would hope that the cart is going to be well, on sometimes the Sometimes you don't have line. carts
5: because there's not enough room in college football. Exactly.
4: Exactly. So each production is different. That's why the concept of fixed cameras is so interesting mm-hmm. because you don't have to worry about what— what camera package the broadcast network is using, right. you already have the boundary lines covered. I think that's something that certainly um, the NFL has looked at, but with college football, you know, you've got different conferences, you've got different levels, you've got different different you know resources. Uh, so I think it's something that we may see at the Division One level, or even or even uh, you know the bigger conferences. But it's definitely. An interesting concept and something that we need to continue to explore in both college and and the NFL. Let's go to our head scratcher call of the week. We still don't have a sponsor. We're hoping Murray steps up. Travis, your hair looks.
5: I mean, I I did my hair at like. Phenomenal. Immaculate. You did your hair 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 two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, and it's still. And the shine. You can shower, you can shampoo. It's
4: unbelievable. It's good. Murray's is right there. We just did a Murray's commercial. We're in, okay. Michigan, Wisconsin. All right, this is a big, big matchup. This is this is not just Big Ten. This this is college football playoff implications. Eleven versus teams, thirteen. Eleven versus thirteen. In Wisconsin, early on, um, Wisconsin has the ball, second down. Shea Patterson. Looks like a completed pass to Ronnie Bell. It's going to be a first down, big gain. Looks like a great diving catch. Diving catch. Michigan's moving the ball. It was only 7 nothing at the time, I believe. Yes. And goes to review, and it's overturned to incomplete. The replay official ruled that the ball hit the ground and, and came loose. Um, Michigan then doesn't convert on third down. Wisconsin gets the ball and scores on the next possession. So we go from 7-0, potentially Michigan driving to tie the game or even kick a field goal to down 14-0. Looked at the play. We weren't on the game. Mike Pereira, our colleague at Fox Sports, was on the game. Mike agreed. That was not an incomplete pass. I mean, Patterson looked like he had his hands on the ball the entire time. The ball, maybe there was some slight movement, but there was never anything that looked like loss of control. The ruling on the field was a catch. Certainly wasn't clear and obvious. I would have overturned it to a catch if the ruling on the field was incomplete. And, that's what Mike and said, too. It, it was hands on the ball, no loss of control, maintained control. And uh, and so it was a big at the time. Look, the game mm. ended up out of reach. I think it was 35-14. Yeah. But at the time, that's a big momentum change because, again, Wisconsin gets the ball and Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor goes for like a 75-yard touchdown run. and And pretty much at that point, Michigan – was uh, was deflated, and it was a big momentum swing in the game, and uh, so that's our head scratcher call of the week. Head
5: scratcher call of the week. Nice, Travis. Nice. <laughs> there
4: you go. So that's that's college football, and I do now. I want to. I want to take some time to. You know, it takes a big man to admit when he's when he's done something wrong, and <laughs> and I am. I can admit when I. Stepped over the line. And and Travis, you know, our first episode, we talked about you being from Wyoming. The great state of I, Wyoming. I think I, I made a comment about, um, you know, you being very white. I, you know, I think I said, I mean, look, bottom line is Travis is, I mean. He's pretty white. He's pretty white. Like he's, he's, Portland is my favorite city white. <laughs> right? Like that's Travis. I'm, I like Portland. Yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah, of course exactly. you do. And so... I made, I made, I poked a little fun at Wyoming and Travis then like in all seriousness came up to me and we had a little conversation. Travis, why don't you share, share with our listeners what, um, what we talked about.
5: Yeah. So uh, I have buddies and, and my mom, and my dad listen to the show and, and they're like, yeah, we love the show, Dean, but why, why so much hate for Wyoming? And I, my mom, my mom's like, I can't believe this. And, and I told her I was going to tell you and she's like, no, no, don't tell Dean. And she's like, like terrified by I that. didn't,
4: I honestly didn't mean offend anybody i didn't mean to offend the 15 people from wyoming that that watched the show or listened to the show we did i guess we did get into um you know buying a town in wyoming i guess and we did there was a town in wyoming that was for sale yeah
5: a few years back there was a town called aladdin wyoming with 15 population and it was for sale at one point for 1.5 million it ended up going, coming off the market, and then being sold for about four hundred ninety so thousand. It was a price reduction. Yeah. Say it was on the MLS for for a while. <laughs> it got the listing got
4: stale, and so like you know what the broker was like, I need I need a reduction in price. They brought it down. They did sell it though. They did. Now, do you get everything in the? What do you get? Like, if I buy Aladdin, Wyoming, what do I get?
5: Like, get do Like I have general store, the post office.
4: Do I get the like? Are the people? Like a part of that deal, like can't, a, I can't, can't
5: imagine. People,
4: so do, do I? No, do I? Do I become? He bought us, though. Yeah,
5: wow. exactly. <laughs> hey, those Wait, were really we're good paycheck I though. know,
4: but you guys are working on <laughs> you. You're in low wages, but do you, I, I imagine if I buy the town, I become like like Brad Wesley in Roadhouse? Wow, like he he owned that town. He did. He did whatever the f he pleased. Like Brad until until who came to town dalton until dalton came to town 56 five, five, six, 150 pounds but he was a badass he came to town meanwhile the bar in in roadhouse that,
6: the double deuce the
4: double deuce <laughs> the, when you went into the double deuce before dalton got there who when does that ever happen like right. when when do you go in and there's legit like people dying fights like i've seen obviously we've been in our share of bar fights but this is like you go in there and every three seconds, there's, there's yeah. like Dude mayhem, stabbed. like mayhem. And Dalton comes in, cleans it up. But Brad Wesley owned that town. Like he did whatever he wanted. They drove the monster truck, like through the car dealership. They burned the one guys that the store Autos, down,
6: yeah. drove helicopters around, I, flew yeah. them around. Unbelievable. Yeah. I
4: feel like that's, if I buy Aladdin, Wyoming, I want to be Brad. Wesley. Yes. Right. Are in you going to rename yeah. it? If you I'm going to name. Oh, Absolutely going to be Dino Wyoming boom <laughs> there you go so I do want to apologize to the people of Wyoming anybody that that I offended I'm not I I, I actually have said like I want to go to Wyoming I hear Jackson Hole is beautiful and uh, I definitely want
5: to uh, I want to all, all those people came back for the second episode so. of course of course they
4: did they love us we love we love them and we love them and course. we're always going to talk we're, we're always going to talk Wyoming during the show but we are also going to talk we've got a new Joe came up with kind of a new segment idea and we're I think we're going to call this inside the brain of Blandino and I'll, and I'll set it up so what I do is I, I used to do stand-up comedy in New York for a long time and I still write and I like to you know I like that whole creative side and what I'll do in my phone is if something funny happens or I get a thought or something creative I'll put it in my phone in my notes and they're random thoughts okay it's not like all it's just like placeholders that will trigger my memory and then I can write it out. It's like sentence fragments. Form. Exactly. And so I I did this and I had a, a, a notepad for ideas for the podcast and some of my random thoughts. And I sent it to Joe, <laughs> and it has become <laughs> like one of his favorite pastimes I, now. Yeah. I just
6: love reading these things.
4: All right. So Joe is just going to scroll through the notepad real quick and we're just going to land on one. And he's going to read out loud and we're just going to elaborate. So there's no setup, it's off the cuff.
5: All right, here Inside we go. Inside the brain of Blandino.
4: I'm
6: just scrolling, scrolling, <laughs> and I'm going to stop right here. <laughs> what, is what is it? Koalas have chlamydia. And you spelled oh, chlamydia wrong, just, just so you know. <laughs> how do you know how to spell it? Hey, That's a good exactly. Question. I'm glad I misspelled it.
4: All right, so, okay, let me think about that. Uh, oh, okay, okay. So koalas have chlamydia. So I read this thing. That's so random. I don't know how it came up, but I read this thing that. Literally, like the koala community, like the koala population, like 98% of koala bears have chlamydia. Like it's insane. Like, is it like so? I had this whole bit like I was gonna write about like their swingers and like the <laughs> koala community, and it's insane. Like, look it up. You can Google it, Travis, that that legitimately some ridiculous percentage of koala bears have chlamydia. And I just found that like, what, like the um, koalas are like freaks. Like, like what is going on <laughs> in this community that they all have, they all have the clap. Like what? Oh. Speaking of clapping, we just put that to bed in the NFL, but like, it's insane. Like who would have thought if I said pick, pick an animal, pick one animal in the animal <laughs> kingdom that you think has the highest percentage of chlamydia. Oh my gosh. You, are you picking koala
6: bears?
5: I'm gonna look at koalas different now. Every right? time yeah, I read I books mean, to my daughter, this right? is horrible. Like zoo cute and cuddly,
6: <laughs> and they're just get away from that. Get away from that. Right, like Go kids. to the zoo. I'm not letting yeah. my kids. And Nat Geo
5: not doing that. Right, one. that Nat Geo after dark <laughs> is. <laughs> hey, I think the untold stories. My
4: segment is a hit already. <laughs> All right, so so we'll do that each week. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, let's uh, let's go to our rule clarification of the week. And this comes from, I was on the Rich Eisen Show Friday. We were talking about the Thursday night game. We were talking about the podcast. He loves it. He wants to come on, be a guest, future shows. He, uh, he brought up, we talked about life rules, right? And we talked about how we were going to break down life rules and come up with rulings. He brought up, and we talked about it on the show. Here's the setup. You're on a plane. Middle seat, three across. Middle seat. Does the middle seat get dibs on both armrests? Go.
6: I say no. Just I because say I yes. never get the middle seat, I say I, I feel yes. like you should. Yes,
5: but I don't oh. think people follow that because you've been on the outside or, or in the aisle or in the window. And to me, you, look, you, they'll take it. You, you're all in coach, right? If you're doing three across, so you've
4: all you're all equal. You've all paid. Nobody is paid extra. Nobody. So the middle seat, look, the aisle. You have the advantage of you can get up. You don't have to worry about it. You can get to the overhead. You can lean into the aisle. You have some room. The window, you have the advantage of. You can look out the window and see how beautiful
6: it is. You can and you lean can against the, lean the plane. Ag- you can lean
4: against, right? So you have full on, th- those areas are yours. The, the middle seat, you got nothing. You're, you're like stuck in the middle. You To me, you should get dibs on both armrests. Now, what, what Rich and his guys were saying is it's first come, first serve.
6: Okay, I think it turns into a strategy battle. My last flight, the guy in the middle thought that that was the case, and I had to strategically wait for my moment to re—well, to repossess the. They said
4: first come, first serve, and I said, "Well, what if you get up?" And he said, "No, that if they—if you get up now, it's up for grabs. Yeah, and you can reclaim the lost armrest."
6: I waited for this guy to kind of move forward and. Slid right and in And you there. slid right in. Yeah.
4: What if somebody... Is Is it legal to, like, take the armrest and, like, put something on it? Like, get down and let's say like I'm... Saving I'm seats in a movie sa- theater. Exactly. Like, I put my cell phone <laughs> on the armrest or something. Is that legal? I say no. No. You're Are, no saving it. I, I think... But we do have to come up with call a Calling dibs, calling fives on it. I, I feel like... Okay. I feel like the right of first refusal should go to the middle seat. And then if the middle seat relinquishes then it should be first come, first serve. If I don't sit down and immediately take and and maintain continuous control, just like a catch. Wow. If I don't maintain continuous control during the flight and I get up or I give up that armrest, then it becomes first come, first serve. Then you can move in. But I think initially, right of first refusal is the middle seat. Can we, That's a life rule right there. Can we agree on that? I agree. Can we agree on that? We only yeah. need two That's thirds. Fair. We only need two That's thirds fair. of a vote. I'll agree on it. All right. That's the rule. Everyone. So for
5: all of you guys who like that middle seat, guys and girls who like that middle seat, just get those on. Just reference right away. the Good
6: Calls podcast and let them know these are the rules. You think there
5: are people out there? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nice. Do you think there are people out there who choose the middle seat? No, no,
6: never. <laughs> it's the worst. It's, you know, especially if you weigh over two hundred pounds.
4: Uh, no, and we'll talk about you know that's <laughs> the whole trading thing and seat equity, but we'll get into that. You don't trade a middle. You don't sit in a middle seat and go, oh, can I sit next to you oh, in my aisle? Yeah. But well, that's that's yeah, another we're gonna, show. Yes, that's another show. So we've got our rules changed, our first rule change ratified. We're going to take a break when we come back. College football, NFL analyst, man of the people, serious radio host, Mr. Brady.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
2: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's dot com slash iHeart.
4: All right, I'm, I'm excited about our guest today because usually, usually he's the one asking me questions on his serious radio show about uh, NFL. But today I get to ask him questions. This guy, he... He was a college football star, played in the NFL, current analyst for Fox Sports, serious Radio. He's a man of the people, Mr. Brady Quinn. What's up, Brady?
7: How <laughs> much Dino Blandino, which I guess, is that the nickname that uh, old Timmy Brando gave you?
4: I mean, I guess, but that's an old nickname. I mean, that goes back. I had, you know. My my football coaches, baseball coaches, everybody used to call me Dino Blendino. My my second grade teacher, I think she started it. She she loved how my name flowed, and she used to actually sing my name in class. And so is uh,
7: Dean short for
1: something, or no no for something else?
4: No, Dean it's is Dean. it's just Dean. Yeah, but obviously huh. everybody kind of went Dino, and then my middle name. <laughs> my, My middle name is actually, if you want to get any more Italian than this, so it's actually the name of an Italian sparkling water. I'll let you guess that. It's usually on restaurant tables.
7: I I, I hope it's, well, Toscana?
4: Not Toscana. Pellegrino? Pellegrino. That's it. So it's actually Dino Pellegrino Blandino. Yep. That was my grandfather's first name. Yep
7: that's amazing that is amazing unfortunately you don't have the water rights to uh to that. i know if i, I podcast, wish right? i wish
4: i was the heir to the pellegrino water throne but i'm not you know
7: so but there's there's always hope for the future exactly you
4: know? exactly so what i want to talk to you a little bit about um so you obviously you played at notre dame You had a lot of success there you know just just looking at your background Tied for the most wins as a quarterback in Notre Dame history. Maxwell Award, best college player, 2006. Go to the NFL. Had a good career. Didn't enjoy the same success as you had at Notre Dame. But, you know, looking back, I think there were some some injuries. 2000, 2008, you named the starter, broke your finger. Out for the rest of the year. 2009, threw four touchdowns against the Lions. Won a couple of games in the in, in a row. Foot injury out for the year and then kind of bounced around as a backup and uh and retired in 2015 what was for you the biggest difference in going from the college game to the pro game what was the biggest and the hardest transition for you
7: uh i think from for me personally it was the injuries that you like you discussed because i uh from my true freshman year to my senior year had a relatively clean bill of health um i had suffered a concussion but It happened, I guess we think, my sophomore year, we think it happened the first half. and So I played the second half and then literally to this day don't remember anything in the second half of that game. Um, But played the following week. You know, I passed concussion protocol and all that um, and then played the following week. And then really outside of uh, my senior year our bowl game in the LSU, I tore my PCL in the first quarter. But put a brace on, kind of fought through that just to get through the game. Uh, that was it. And, and so once I got into the NFL, when I when I, I broke my broke my right index finger, my smalling hand, and it doesn't sound like it's anything significant, but it greatly impacts your, your ability to throw the football. Sure. Uh, if it's your your right index finger, or thumb, and then you mentioned the foot injury, which really plagued me the rest of my career. I should have gotten surgery then uh, with Cleveland. I didn't. They traded me, and then at that point. Once I got traded, it's you know it was tough because I, I really didn't get like an opportunity, uh, at least not like a legitimate one. You know, I, in in 2012 with Kansas City, uh, they kind of threw me the keys after uh, Matt Castle got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say versus Baltimore, week five or six, and uh, I, I finished the game. You know, drove us down. We actually ended up. It's funny because like, you and I were talking before we we came on about pick plays. Yeah, we got called for one and the irony to it is it wasn't even a pick play. Um, but the, and, and Dexter McCluster got blown up by the cornerback on the outside. who was covering Dwayne bow. Yeah. And so we ended up, I, I threw a pass, uh, a little under route to Dwayne bow. He takes it to the house. They call it back for offensive P. I We kick a field goal end up losing the game. <clears throat> but, but it was enough to kind of, I, I guess sparked him to give me an opportunity for a couple of games, had another concussion, uh, like the following week. So, Injuries are one of the things that stood out because it just I, I couldn't really get into a rhythm or a flow. You know, every time things yeah. started to look like I was going to get an opportunity, injuries played a factor. Um, you know, lack of continuity. There's, just, there's, no, there's no really time for development anymore with quarterbacks. Um, and so, for me, what was difficult was so many different offensive systems that I went through. And so, you know, I probably felt most comfortable my second year in the league because I had two full years to really learn that system under Rob Chedzinski, And that was it. You know, every point moving on after that, there was always changes uh, to what I was doing the rest of my career until uh, year eight. So um, that was part of it. I mean, look, I I didn't play as well as I obviously needed to, but I, I think some of that too is, you know, I'm the type that needed a little bit more time. I needed more reps. And I really never got that many reps as compared to being able to start and play as a true freshman.
4: Yeah. And and talking about that, talking about guys going from college to the NFL, you had you had the game on Sunday, the the Panthers and the Cardinals, and so we're watching a guy, first overall pick, Kyler Murray, new system, a, a college style system, and then obviously Kyle Allen has an unbelievable game, throws four touchdowns. What what do you think? What do you think Kyler's chances of being successful in the NFL? And then talk a little bit about you know, do you think a, a college style system like the Air Raid can have sustained success? in the pro game?
7: Um, I think elements of it can. I, I think we've we've seen with the limited roster size how that up-tempo can impact the defense over time. And candidly speaking with, um, you know, a couple people within the organization, I think that's a concern for later on this year. Sure. You know, it's not right now. Um, and actually the, the weird thing was uh, in, in that game, they had more plays, they'd run more offensive plays, and they had more time of possession. Versus Detroit Lions, and they still, or excuse me, versus the Carolina Panthers, and they still ended up uh, losing. Yeah, um, but but that game got a little lopsided. I, I think the difficulty with answering the question about Kyler Murray is Arizona's his best shot because he was drafted specifically by an organization that has a head coach that like, that loves all of his skill sets mm-hmm. and, and is going to run a system that is conducive to that. So if this doesn't work out with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona for Caleb Murray, there's there's two issues I think for him moving forward. Whoever either becomes the next head coach there, if it doesn't work out, or if he was to move on somewhere else, they have to buy all in. Like you've got to have him in shotgun a bunch. You've got to you know allow him to be in a system that uh, is tailored to his skill set and strengths and one that he's you know has, has run in college. That's why I, you know it's different for him because it's kind of like Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill got drafted to the Dolphins. And Mike Sherman was offensive coordinator. That was who his offensive coordinator was at Texas A&M for a couple of years. So he knew that system from day one. And I think the difficulty was we saw some of his best football Miami early on thinking like, oh, this is just the beginning. And really it kind of ended up being a little bit of a ceiling. Um, for Kyler, I, I think that's some of the difficulty is if he has to change systems and go to a different team, Yeah. you know, four or five years down the road, he could be, or six years down the road, he could be like, you know, having having to deal with a learning curve, a significant learning curve, where there's going to be more on his plate in a different system and learning different verbiage, and then there's also you know baseball. Like if this doesn't work out, what part of him would just be sure. like, oh, "Screw it, I'm just going to go to baseball."
4: That that's a good point because obviously he you know drafted in the first round, Oakland, and and so he has that in his background, and he can certainly if it doesn't work out. But it's an interesting point about having that having that system and have the everything built for him. Versus having to go somewhere and fit into something that's already been been established. And, yeah,
7: talking with him, it was interesting because he said, like, he knows that offense as well as, as pretty much uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, and, and he kind of made a comment like, Cliff needs to figure out some <laughs> of the play calling, almost in regards to like he needs to figure me out as a quarterback. Like he's very confident in his ability. Interesting. And 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 what he's being asked to do in this system. So much so, you could see at times in the game, there was an interception he threw trying to hit the shield the team, and he was frustrated because he wanted Fitzgerald to shield to look sooner. He missed the shield on a third down, same thing. He wanted to turn out, he turned in. Um, David Johnson, you know, there's another example of that too, where kind of miscommunication with him in one of the routes, and you could just see him getting frustrated. and I think that's not going to bode well for him moving forward with his teammates. Um, you know, kind of showing them up, showing that frustration on the sure field.
4: that body language. I mean, that's kind of. And you used to hear that about some other quarterbacks and the body language and how they how they reacted with teammates and, and that never goes over well. The uh, so let's talk let's talk a little bit about pass interference. And obviously, you know, you and I have talked about it. What are your what are your first impressions of the rule? What do you think going forward in terms of pass interference being being reviewable and uh, and where the NFL is right now with that? I, I think, uh, Everybody has the same reaction when I ask that question. They're like huh. well, <laughs> well, let me tell you.
7: <laughs> it's a microcosm of society. Okay. Like this is what happens. Wow, happens we're getting deep society. now. Getting deep on You're good calls crazy. right now. <laughs> so so there's like five percent, right? Like if you you know the, the old bell curve. Remember math class, right? Yeah, sure. bell curve. And you got like five percent at each end of it, right? And you've got yeah. the other ninety percent of us are somewhere in the middle of this bell curve. And the play that really forced this role, this, this you know, offensive and defensive pass interference ability to challenge and review it was so egregious and so bad that we now implemented a rule that's being applied to a bunch of other plays where it's not really necessary in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's kind of the case in society. Like we create laws or have these like reactions to things. Sometimes you're like, Okay, that happens like one or 2% of the time. Like, you can't stop crazy. You can't stop like these, you know, ridiculous things that happen. And, and, but you try to create then laws about them. And then everyone else out there is just like, okay, now we've got to deal with this. And it's really not something that, um, you know, uh, had affected my lifestyle before. It was something that, uh, you know, I, I did anyway. But but we implement a law or do something for cool. like, it's just a microcosm of society. Like, it was an overreaction to an a, a egregious probably once in a decade type missed call maybe not I mean that maybe you disagree with that I don't know that I've seen anything that bad that was missed sure and uh and I just I, I think it's you know it, to me that's that's where it kind of makes sense like like this is just where we are in our society uh we're, we're very reactive instead of proactive and sometimes that can be a bad thing and I think in this case it, it kind of is and, and I'll just cap it by saying this: I feel like if the NFL wasn't so egotistical at times about some of the rules and they looked at how the college has implemented the review process for player safety it would have cleared up that call and it would clear up probably some other calls too um, that would fall into that category and unfortunately they they don't want to go that route so um it's or, or at this point, I should say, I just don't want to go that route. So it's a little bit disheartening, but uh, it's just something you have to deal with now. I think as a player, coach, and then obviously as, as an analyst with people in our our field.
4: Yeah, when and I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I think when you talk about, I mean, one case you, you pass a law for for one case, and that you end up with bad laws, and if you if you pass a rule for one play. I think I think you end up with bad rules, and, and I think that's what we're seeing because obviously you're trying to fix the, the Saints Rams play from last year, and now look at the look at the plays how how many Saints Rams plays have we fixed with this rule? There hasn't been any, and and now we're into this minutia of what is pass interference. And I, I know you were you know you were in Arizona on Sunday, but there was a play in the Eagles Lions game on Sunday where the you know the the kick returner Sanders I mean he gets his helmet ripped off face right. mask, big time, no call. And you can't do anything about that in replay. But then Patricia challenges, you know, a, a 50-50 ball into double coverage, hoping for a PI. And, and and then we sit there for two minutes and we end up with call in the field stands. And, and I don't think that was the intent of, of the rule. And so, you know, and I agree with you about society too. I think that's where, you know, we go. We kind of go sideways with that stuff.
7: So So case in point. That, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the first play that I saw, and, and watching some of the highlights and things, and you see it on social media um, as, as much as that's a cesspool. I think sometimes opportunities still to see things that stand out, uh, and that and that particular clip stood out as far as a, a bad miss call. But you know, again, unless we just want to open everything up to be reviewable, right? And we want to make specific demands or have specific demands from the head coaches. Which you know may slow down the game, maybe not more so than all these holding penalties yeah. called. Even though this past weekend there weren't as many calls, um, but again, player safety. Like that's an instance where obviously if you're you know there's a face mask, a personal foul, you're ripping it off the, the guy's head. You know that's an element where it would be reviewable. Yeah, and 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 again, it falls under that. Maybe it's a catch-all in a way, but at the same time, like we're trying to make the game safer. We typically see rules change for player safety. Uh, it just makes more sense to me to be able to have the replay uh, officials review things for player safety when there's been a foul committed. Um, maybe even more so than giving uh, the coaches the opportunity to challenge it, or maybe that's your that, that that's kind of your fallback, is you have the coaches the ability to challenge it if indeed, the replay officials don't see it.
4: Yeah, similar to college, and I, I think the colleges, I think it works with targeting. And I, and, and I like your comment just about the NFL, and I hope that there's more collaboration between the NFL and college as it pertains <laughs> to rules, because I think there will be.
7: Can, can I ask you this? folks? Yeah. So, so so I'm coming down the elevator with these replay officials, and, you know, NFL game this past week, and I kind of looked at them and said, man, you guys are really off the hook now, huh? <laughs> 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 because I mean, honestly, you know, I, I know there's, there's things are still working out through, through the replay process, but it's my understanding that everything gets routed back to New York. And so ultimately they've got help there too. And I was just kind of thinking to myself, what are these guys here for then? <laughs> like, yeah, if everything's getting routed back down, ripoff, what are they there
4: for? They, they're definitely not. Yeah, they're, they've definitely been marginalized in terms of the decision-making. You know, I think the biggest thing that they still have to do is in that two-minute window, especially in a hurry up where, you know, the offense is, is trying to conserve time. They've got to be the ones to stop the game to at least initiate a review. So I still think they, they have an important role. Um, but again, once the game is stopped, they can they can pretty much they're out of it in terms of decision making. New York gets involved.
7: They ham exactly. They ham and then they do
4: they do. I was telling somebody the story. We've had, you know, I was with the nfl for a long time and and the stories i could tell you about replay officials but one you know we've had replay officials go down in the second half because of a bad hot dog at halftime you know they just they just couldn't continue you know we had to like next man up and and you you've been in those press boxes you know what some of that food is like oh uh,
7: uh, the, the past week we had uh this guy had a tremendous mustache i mean i'm talking like tom Selleck ass. that oh nice which, Which is kind of what drew me to, I think, even look at, like, what his, like, name tag (laughs) said on it. Because I think it said, like, NFL something. So I was, like, sitting in the elevator waiting for people to get on. And I see okay replay official. And that's where I just struck up the conversation. Like, man, you guys kind of got it easy. And then as he turned to start to talk to me, he had food. like a mustache. And I was thinking to myself, how easy is this guy's job? Like, I don't know what they're getting paid or how that works, but. Sign me up once I hit sixty. 60 oh, it's bottom. perfect. Let me just chill in there, eat some hot dogs, you know, hang maybe some popcorn from time to time, and just try to stay away. That's all right. There.
4: Different colored stains on the shirt each week. It's great. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's go. Let's talk a little college football. Obviously, I know you know Notre Dame. You're a Notre Dame guy. Tough loss against Georgia. I want to ask you just about look Brian Kelly. They're three and seven against top ten teams. You know they haven't beaten the top five teams since 2005. Not, and that's look. They're top five teams. their top ten teams for a reason. They're the best who, teams. Who, who
7: was that 2005? Who did they beat in 2005? Michigan. There, you
4: know it was Michigan. Okay. So
7: it was a Michigan. Where was that? It was that. Was that game in Michigan?
4: I think uh, they were number three. I think it was in Michigan, and I think that was okay. that. That was their last. uh Is there a reason so you right?
7: Was who was the head coach then?
4: You, you're you are you. You tell me. You you were probably there. <laughs>
7: Yeah, man, we went on the road to beat Michigan. is uh, that Charlie? You were, with, beat, you were you were Charlie, uh, Charlie, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The last, the last time we beat an SEC team on the road, uh, we beat, I believe, Tennessee in 2004. They were number nine. We mm-hmm. went down to Knoxville and beat them. But I mean, the, the common denominator between those two games is it wasn't a ton of offensive production because, to be quite honest, and much like we saw in this game, you know, the SEC's got great defense. They have yeah. tremendous athletes. There's yeah. a ton of team speed. And so how do you win? Well, the first thing is you've got to value every possession and you've got to play the field position battle and you can't turn the football over. And, you know, the, the two interceptions from Ian Book, and I'm not like putting this on him by any means, but, you know, those are like the no-nos that you just you can't expect to go into their house on the road versus one of the best teams in yeah. college football and turn the football over and win.
4: Oh, no question. And then, like I said, these these are tough teams, they're tough games, but there there does seem to be this perception, and I don't know if it goes back to the Clemson game last year, whatever it is, that when Notre Dame gets on the big stage, they kind of fall short. Do you right or wrong? Do you think that that's fair and and do you think Brian Kelly can get this team, you know, back to where you know, competing for the national title, you know, in those games? What what do you think?
7: No, I I do. I really do. I think he's he's put them in a good position, right? And I and I know like, you know, in, in horseshoes when you're close it counts and you get points, but and then that's not really the case here, like there's no moral victories. But you know, you put that that game on a neutral site, you know, maybe it's a different outcome when you've got ninety five percent Georgia fans sure, in sure. there and it's a tough environment. You know, maybe it it ends up a little different. I, I don't know. But um He's got them to, you know, the college football playoff last year, a national championship in 2012. And as far as, you know, why things didn't work out, you know, the, the way I think a lot of Irish fans has hoped, uh, it's difficult. I mean, look, we went to back-to-back BCS games, and I think in both of those BCS games, what was very apparent in watching film preparing for it is, you know, we didn't have as much team speed. We didn't have as much of that elite talent. I mean, look at that 2005 Ohio State team. Uh, that beat us in the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, look how many draft picks sure, they had off sure. team team um, compared to how many we had, for example. And, you know, if you're going to use that as like an indication, right, this is why I think Notre Dame's closer than people realize. Okay, let's play a little trivia. How many players since 2016 have been drafted from Georgia?
4: I would think the number is probably, I don't know, 15? 19. Wow.
7: Okay. And how how many of them do you think were first round picks? Half? Uh, Five. Okay. Not not quite half, but about one or four. So, now, same thing for Notre Dame. How many draft picks since 2016?
4: Probably pretty close. 17? 19. Oh, wow. Okay. How many
7: first round picks? Five? Five. Yeah. So, now granted, you're talking different position groups, right? Like, Notre Dame had a year where Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey sure, both in the sure. top ten on the offensive line, um, and, and and that's where you know you look at some of the you know tight ends and guys we've had drafted in the first round, like the little different positions, um, positions that are getting drafted, and so there's a couple things. I actually think Charlie Weiss's system would be perfect for Notre Dame right now, and in particular because Ian Book's a smart kid, he's a good decision maker. And your advantage when when you're at Notre Dame is you're not going to have as much speed, probably at least not collectively. Maybe some players here and there, um, but you've got to be able to out scheme. And and if talent isn't equated, you've got to be able to have scheme to make it close. And I, I just I, I look at what they do sometimes offensively in some of these more spread sets, mm-hmm. and I don't think it plays to their advantage. I think you can't control the game as well like that versus teams that are more talented or, or are faster than you. And it only takes a, a few things here or there to you know, break open a big play or create negative plays on offense. So, you know, having the you know more tight end sets in there, being able to control their game by running the football and then having more play action pass off of that, you know, it keeps Ian Book from being in positions where, you know, at the end of the game, you know, and then again, he brought some of this on himself. When he dropped back, sometimes he's running out of the pocket, out of the back of the pocket to the right or left. And that's what the defense wants you to do. You know, they don't want you to step up in the pocket sure, where you've course. got more space and room, because once you run to the right or left, you cut the field in half, mm-hmm. and so it's less for them to defend. And that's where the, you know, for example, the flea flicker pick came in, and then the final play they had on offense. You know, he just he he ran so far back at that point. It's it's a desperation heave. It's not even like you're playing. Um, you know, you to run the play you had had called initially. It's just backyard football halemary. Really hope someone touches it and get a pi call. So um, I just I think. With the group that they've gotten on everything else, like that sort of system would be perfect um, for where they're at right now. And I know that's not, you know, that's not what Chip Long wants to do. But and, and don't get me wrong, he, I thought he called a great game, I, especially some of those plays down around the goal line. Uh, the unbalanced set, Georgia called a timeout wisely because they they were they, were yeah, they weren't
4: ready it. for it. Yeah, the,
7: the touchdown I believe it, the, to uh, Cole Komet. The original design was there. I don't I, you know he didn't throw it. He ended up. You know, finding them when he like, created afterwards. But, I mean, this is a good football game. I think they could be 11 1 and then go to a New Year's 6 game. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, I think with that loss, they just, even as close as it was, sure. I don't think they're going to be able to get in the college ball playoff.
4: I would agree with you. I, I think they have to go, they'd have to go undefeated to get, you know, with just, you know, can anybody, is it's after Alabama and Clemson, who is it?
7: Honestly, I think it's LSU and Georgia. I mean, yeah. just from watching them. And that's yeah. and not to disrespect Ohio State or Oklahoma, but Ohio State really hasn't played anyone. Oklahoma, you can make the same case, and I'm still, even though Alex Finch is there and he's done a good a good job so far with their defense, I'm still hesitant to sit there and say, like, they could actually, you know, compete outside of just putting up a bunch of points in bowl games, and I know there's a stat out there about when the Big 12 plays the SEC, and, and you know, you look at, how many points the SEC defenses are giving up and how many points these Big 12 teams are scoring and all that. But that factors in a lot of those middle-of-the-road Big 12 and SEC teams, not like the top-end talent teams. Like if Oklahoma and Texas are going to play LSU and Alabama and Georgia you know, 10 times each, I would imagine the SEC wins the bulk of those, and they're probably winning by a decent margin, kind of like we already saw earlier this year with LSU and Texas.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's not. It's not a uh, Arkansas and and you know some of the other mid to lower they may see you Exactly, or exactly. All right, man. Hey, he's Brady Quinn. You can you can follow him on Twitter at Brady underscore Quinn. Brady Quinn on Instagram. You can watch him NFL college football on Fox. Listen to him on Serious Radio. Enjoyed having you, man. Thanks.
7: Yeah, yeah, any it's a good call. So not, you guys didn't want to come up with anything else, like great the, calls or bad calls or You know, I'm booty learning booty in the podcast
4: where you got to come up with a, with a catchy name, but there's so many names already out there. I mean, I wanted to call, yeah. you know, the, 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 the Dean Blandino t- Super Terrific Happy Hour, but they didn't go for that, so.
7: <laughs> well, then you have to break it down to an acronym. Exactly, That's the
4: issue. exactly. Now
7: you're, ta- yeah, you know, hashtagging an acronym. No one wants to deal with that. Yeah,
4: no, not, not today's society. They're too busy making bad rules and bad laws. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah, I'll see you. This has been Good Calls with Dean Blandino. Please follow me on Twitter, at Dean Blandino, and also follow the show, Instagram and Twitter, at Rules Podcast. That's at Rules Podcast. And be sure to rate our podcast on the iHeartRadio app and on Apple Podcasts. Good Calls with Dean Blandino is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.